You're listening to the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Understanding the feminine cross-dressing experience. I'm Savannah Hawk, dual gender male to female crossdresser, LGBTQ plus advocate, TEDx speaker, and author of the Living with Crossdressing book series. And I'm Julie Rubenstein, proud ally and co-founder of FoxandHanger.com, a feminine styling and life coaching service for cross-dressers and transgender women. Hi, Savannah. Well, hello there, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Did you know that underneath my upper thigh uh, is, <laughs> I am softening a peanut butter or jelly, a crustable. <laughs> I actually, you know what? I've done as stranger things for other reasons. So, you know, putting hands or the armpits, keep them warm. Um, I've done butter in my hand, you know, a stick really? of butter that you're trying. Yeah, you just like the stick of butter that's still in the, you know, the wrap and you like, you want to soften it up a little bit. So ah. instead of like destroying it in a microwave, you just kind of, you know, take it out of the fridge and put it in your hand for a minute. So yeah, I've done those things. I mean, it's in the wrapper, but like, I'm so glad that you're validating me with your experiences. I felt so alone. No, never feel alone. Trust me. Everybody on this planet in some way, shape or form has warmed a food stuff by using body heat. Or, or unless we're both just weird. We can't say everyone. Yeah, that's true too, actually. <laughs> right in the comments below. If you have some strange relationship with warming foods in your body parts. No, that sounded, but not in your body parts. I mean, on and around your body parts, between body parts. I don't know. All right. It's, so, it's okay, okay. Yeah. But anywho... How yes. are you? I'm all right. I uh, did some writing today. Today, the ongoing drama of my third Living with Crossroads book. I'm on the path of possibly renaming it. It's Whoa. like a whole different book, but just like a little emblem that says Living with Crossroads. The research component is both fascinating and difficult. It's like a research project. It's not like I'm yeah. just writing off the top of my head. So that's been fascinating. I just learned from my research that there was, uh, in the 80s, a man named Kurt Frund, who was a Czechoslovakian Canadian physician and sexologist mm. who coined a bunch of stuff in the early 80s. So I was like, oh, let me research what this guy's all about. And then I find out he was one of those people who tried to do an experiment of homosexuality conversion therapy mm -hmm. by giving you nausea-inducing drugs if you were looking at man pictures. So that would make you nauseous. And if um, he would give you injections of a testosterone when you were looking at female pictures, uh, to try <gasps> to get you more aroused, which totally took me right back to American Horror Story Asylum, where they did that same thing to Sarah Paulson when she was like, I don't want to be gay anymore. And she subjected herself to the same experiment, a very similar experiment. So I'm like, holy shit, this stuff really happened. That's <laughs> so, major. That's yeah. major. And I hate that my rational mind, the first thought I wanted to ask you was, well, did it work? <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. He later apologized because the experiment slash conversion therapy was futile. It had a super low, if almost nil success rate. And he of apologized course. for even attempting it or to like force people to not be oriented in their sexuality the way they had defined. So yeah, he actually apologized later and started advocating for accepting their sexual orientation. Mm. Fascinating. And by, Fascinating the way, stuff. and by the way, I am a homosexual. That's me being the researcher. 
or the researchee, right? Just by the way, I've been doing that as well, looking at the background of the researcher who's postulating these theories. I'm like, right, well, who right. are they? Right. I mean, we knew that Magnus Hirschfeld was a self-described homosexual. So I want to give them more credence because they are in a community and they're trying to figure things out versus some hetero cis normative researcher going, hey, you know what I think about homosexuals? Just fascinating stuff. I didn't know that about Magnus, P.S. That's what I'm here for. I'm your Thank researcher. You. You're welcome. <laughs> I do all the hard work so you don't have to. Oh, sweet. (laughs) So anyway, it's an arduous process. While it may take me all day to write 750 words on the page, Mm -hmm. I spend hours just deep diving into these people. It's really pretty cool. That is very cool. That is very fascinating. I understand that research bug because I definitely have, if I'm interested in a topic, especially have gone deep when it comes to understanding people, events. You know, I, I feel like there's so much background information just from knowing the piece that they're not telling you Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. will just give the information that they tell you that much color, that much understanding on my end. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to take everything verbatim. And again, the internet is such a a vast source of data. Even if you go to Wikipedia, I don't sit there and be like, well, Wikipedia said this, therefore blah. So basically I'll look at every footnote and find out what that source was from. Don't just believe the first thing you read, deep dive more into it, find out more about it, get other sources to back up that same claim and not just be like, oh, this is some weird guy who wrote this, who lives in a cave somewhere. Try to validate your findings for sure. Yep. Yep. So so what is on the docket for today, my lovely? Well, excuse me, I have to take a little sip because that... Uncrustable is delicious and perfectly soft. I will let you know that while Julie's taking a sip, she, as I was waxing nostalgically about research, she's on the other end on mute going, you didn't hear me because I'm no, on mute. I know, but I saw it and I'm like, oh, this is going to go bad if that peanut butter sticks to the roof of her mouth. I know, I know, <laughs> but it's a risk I'm going to take. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Deep breath. Hamana, hamana, hamana. Meaty talk. Okay, I'm there. I'm <laughs> you are there, and now I'm out of bounds with my laughter. Okay, what are we talking I'm about? I'm grounded. You are. So grounded. the topic for today came at the start of the week, or maybe the end of last week, when I had a client that sent me a picture of a dress they purchased from the lookbook. Okay. And it looked fabulous beyond, beyond my wildest dreams. So when we're doing the lookbook and I'm setting up the page, what you see is a model wearing the dress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I have in my psychic, you know, sense of knowing is how they're going to look in the dress, but nothing is more fulfilling or more just like energetically orgasmic, if you will, than to see the person in the dress, looking as good as I thought. So I was so, this is why I do what I do, totally geeking out. And I asked her, you know, may I please post a picture of you on the dress next to the lookbook picture or, mm. you know, oh, comparing yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Nice. I wrote yes. foxandhanger.com. They said, fine. So then I put it up and I don't know if it was hours had passed or a day. I'm not really sure of the time frame, but they had messaged me and they said, would you please take it down? Hmm. 
She said, when I undress, I feel a lot of shame and I feel a lot of guilt and a lot of regret towards my female self. I realize I'm not comfortable with it. I'm so sorry, this and that. So not only did I take it down, I told them they didn't have to apologize. I told them that I would feel the same exact way if I were them, because I would. I think I would. I don't know for a fact that I would, but I have been known to post something super vulnerable and then take it all down based on someone's comment or a moment of clarity. By clarity, I mean judgment and self-loathing for myself or this exposed whatever it is. So I I totally understood. Didn't really think much of it. Had a moment where I had an exchange where I was like, that makes me feel so sad. And I wish I had like a magic wand that could take that feeling away. That followed by me thinking about what I could possibly do to help this situation. And then it landed on the other end of my brain. This is just part of their story. This is an experience that I'm going to validate. I just feel sad. Mm -hmm. Let that go. Went into my work week and it just kept on finding me. This feeling of sadness and shame about when they undress, being overwhelming with sadness as their female persona gets put away and they're standing in front of the mirror as the man that they were before the female experience. And it just, it didn't sit well with me. It made me really sad. So when you said to me, you know, it's your turn for a topic, because this was such a vulnerable share from this person, I didn't really want to bring it out of the closet. I, you know, shut the door originally because I felt like this was very private. This is an honest and confidential conversation. So I looked at other topic ideas, but this overwhelming idea and concept and share just kept on growing and growing in my heart. And so when I told you that's what I wanted to do, you answered as history has proven itself for you to answer. And that sounds great. I have a lot to say about that. And yes, that's perfect. So last night I did what I usually do, but a little bit closer to the time I I posted an image that I created with a stock image of a man looking very sad. And then on the other side, I found an image of a crossdresser. So I write something to the effect of, Hmm, Let me look. I can look at it on my actual phone because we are living in this new age. Digital age. (laughs) On this image, I wrote, how do I feel when I change out of my femme persona? Mm -hmm. And I wrote on the post, can you please share your feedback on this image as it relates to you personally? (laughs) And then I wrote, asking for a friend. (gasps) And hashtag, because your story matters. Oh, yes, that was it. I don't know. Every time I I put a post like this out into the world, just kind of fishing for the community consensus, individual opinions, I always have this fear that like everyone's going to be like, it's a dud. Nope. Mm -hmm. Crickets. (laughs) So, and that's literally every time. I never think, oh, I'm going to nail this one. Especially considering it was so close to the episode, I just felt. Yeah, you late called that one. I was I was I surprised, really but you crushed it with the responses. Thank you, everybody who did respond. Thank you, everything. Every thank you, everything. Thank you, everyone that helped and was so open and honest with their feelings around this. Because honestly, when I thought about this topic, it just went with me throughout my day. Mm-hmm. I I understood how this could be. I'm an empath. I get it. I can put myself in the heels of an individual. But until I hear 
from individuals who have actually experienced this moment, who am I to speak on it? Thank God you're here because we we could have done a whole show on this and had not tapped into the community because you can speak that it's a that it's something you've talked to so many you're in the community but I'm so glad that we have developed such a following with this podcast that all I need to do is throw a vulnerable post out and there's dozens and dozens of people that are ready and want to and are finally able to share their yes their truth around this right right and as as I'm uh, listening to you intently and looking through basically all the messages that you got on the Box and Phoenix podcast, Facebook posts. The thing I see, and you mentioned two of them, you said guilt and shame. I also mm-hmm. see in these responses, sadness. I see kind of a regret in different ways. I mean, you can take regret in a lot, like I didn't do something, or in this case, I did do something, but now I regret that I have to put it away. There's a couple of things in here that talk about confusion. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things that talk about how those two personas, the male and female, are completely different according to them or their wife. And then the not wanting to de girl. So, yeah, there's so many things here that really center around how do I want to say this? There's not really a cumulative answer, but it's all around not wanting to let go. Yeah. That, but then the fact that once you do let go, there are some instances where there's a, such a stigma about what they did that once they do let go and release the goddess, femininity, spirit quality of it, they go back to male mode and they just feel, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Yeah. What's wrong with me? And when you shared this as something you wanted to pose as a topic, yeah. I did what I always do. I went and looked up what is shame? What is guilt? What is it Mm. defined as? So before we get deeper into the topic and share what other people have talked about and my own experiences, the things that I will read you, this is from verywellmind.com. And it says, shame versus guilt. You may sometimes confuse shame with guilt, a related but different emotion. Guilt is a feeling you get when you did something wrong or perceived you did something wrong. Shame is a feeling that your whole self, and whole self is in italics, shame is a feeling that your whole self is wrong, and it may not be related to a specific behavior or event. And then it goes on to say, when you feel guilty about the wrong thing you did, you can take steps to make up for it and put it behind you. The feeling shame or being convinced that you are the thing that's wrong offers no clear cut way to quote unquote, come back to feeling more positive about yourself. That's one difference between shame and guilt. So yeah, it's deep. It is a deep, deep well is almost for some impossibility to dig out of, especially when it's shame-based. Yeah. We've been taught for so long, early to mid to late century feeling of transvestism and transsexualism and transgender and cross-dressing have all been a shame component because society deemed it to be shameful. Therefore, we were always told or we heard or we were taught or we were indoctrinated to believe that idea is wrong and shameful and sinful and taboo and stigmatized. So therefore, of course, anytime you were to do it under the guise of all those teachings and learnings, anytime you quote unquote, give in to those feelings, Mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, I got to put it away because I do it in secret. And I just had that, that time and it's so elated and you feel so good and so confident and so sensual and so love, you know, self-love. 
Yeah. And then you have to put it away because that was a limited time offer and you have to put it away because, you know, the parents are coming home or the wife is coming home or you're coming home from your trip, whatever that instance is that defined the ability to do it. We've talked about this. It's rushed. It's very kinetic where you're like, I got to do it. I got to do it. It's all very intense. And, and then you, you're just full of all these feelings. And then you're like, okay, got to put it away and instantly have that withdrawal almost like an addictive quality of this withdrawal Mm -hmm. from it. And then you go back to your male life and think it was a creepy thing I did. I shouldn't be doing it. I was wrong to feel as good about it as I did. All these just terrible emotions of self-loathing. Yeah. You know, I had it for a bit, but not to the extent of some other people. Again, wasn't raised in a really super religious environment. We talked about this, I think last week about my parents and how they groomed me to think a certain way about it, but I really didn't buy into it. So for me, I was like, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing. While there was an adolescence risk reward, hiding it, secrecy, that taboo, that shame, that excitement. Some of that was there in my my formative teenage years as I really kind of got into it more regularly. Other than the secrecy component, I really never felt what I was doing was deemed as wrong, at least in my own head. It's just, I knew that other people wouldn't appreciate it. Therefore I had to keep it to myself. Yeah, it's so multi-layered because you have people's experience with their childhood trauma. You have environmental context that has to do with who's in the house, how much time do you have, what kind of external influences are affecting your day-to-day. And then you have a larger kind of cultural scope, the movies, the media, what larger global shame scale has been put inside of you. So it feels to me to combat all of these complexities. One of the ways to combat it is to really talk gently to your inner child and find some ways to up the self-care, to up the process so that it, so that it doesn't feel so painful, so that you're not in this victim mode of this pain spiral that somehow told yourself that you deserve this, or this is part of the process, or well, I did that thing I want to do, that bad girl thing, and now I'm going to be punished. Mm. I don't want that for you. It hurts my heart. You have the emotional bit, and then you have the tangible items and the stripping off the layers. This female persona that I can imagine, it's the opposite than the ritual of getting dressed. I can imagine it could feel like a death. I have a dear client I've worked with since the start of their transition. They identify as a woman just as they are. They commented on this thread and they had said back in the early years before my transition, it felt like a death. Mm -hmm. It felt like a death when I had to go back to the male clothes. And that is something I think is really common among this experience. I would akin it to emerging as a butterfly from your cocoon, extend it out and you're ready to be beautiful and free. And then you're like, no, I'm sorry, you got to go back inside that cocoon. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that I know see their femme self as the most beautiful, authentic parts of themselves. So to turn off that light and that sparkle and clip their wings, so to speak, it hurts my heart when I bring up the visual of a very dark, when the world ends, sci-fi vision of that. And it's Mm kind of like clipping these skeletal bat wings that were once a beautiful butterfly. Yeah. Um, Inspectress Katie says, 
I always stall and waddle when it's time to defem. I see myself as I wish the world would see me and I hate having to go back to the male persona. So many people want to see. I'm usually a little depressed as I peel off the layers of what I really, really feel is reflective of who I am. In my day-to-day life, I feel like I'm screaming from the other side of a raging river. I'm here. This is me. But no one can hear me. It makes me resist going out femme sometimes so I don't have to experience the undoing of it all. Mm. I mean, that is just... I responded. I said, yes to this. We love the visual of the screaming from the side of the raging river. Really powerful. Yeah, it is very powerful. No, And as you're reading that, thinking back to my own, to my own life and of people I know, just to keep a context of this, you know, there are several people in several varieties we're talking to. We're talking about people who may be on their way to transition. We may be talking to people who are closeted and just get zero time to be their femme self, but non-transition. So we have to look at this from the galaxy and the spectrum of things. People who are screaming to be fully authentic 24-7 in their womanhood. And then we have people who just can't even give enough time and breath and freedom to the woman inside them even if it does not result in a physical or medical transition. You need to keep that in mind because, again, the people that we're talking about, the people who are responding are at different places in their journey. They will end up in different places if they allow themselves to be wholly authentic. I'm that example of the other way, where my depression and angst came from being closeted, even with a partner who knew that Savannah was part of my life, but feeling that they didn't approve of me and they would invalidate me. So I felt I needed to stay in the closet until they were away. And that period when they were away was only twice a year. They'd be away for two days, three days. So I closeted myself and only felt that ability to be me, quote unquote, when she was away. But now, you know, I can do it anytime I want. I have a schedule, I have a routine that allows me to be more balanced in who I am, both in my male form and my female form. And you, Julie, have been the one to tell me very often. And Judy has told me, why don't I do more care to my male self? And for me, it's like, well, my male self gets all the freedom he wants. He doesn't have to vie for time to be, be who he is, but Savannah does. So for my personal experience and journey, I've never really had to worry about Chuck because Chuck was always there. Chuck was always the primary, always the one out in the world, having the job, having the relationship, having the friends, where Savannah is the one who was like, what about me? Y'all cross the raging river. What about me? What about me? But Mm -hmm. that was when I was closeted. Now that I have a partner who is accepting, now that I have a routine that I can look forward to, it's not so much the raging river. Now it's just a stream that I can easily traverse over a bridge to get from one side to the other. Yeah, I love that. And I think it is definitely, to your point, important that we acknowledge that one size does not fit all when it comes to the undressing process. Olive underscore is underscore A writes, Sometimes I feel great. I got all my endorphins and that can last a few days, especially when I get to revisit the pics and spend time on Insta with everyone. Sometimes I just don't want to take any of it off. Like, no, we can't be done already. So I think that that's really, it's a comfort to me because I tend to see the gray area in things because there's a lot of gray. But when approaching this topic, I definitely was like black and white. This is an experience that many people have, and let's talk about the pain. 
Yeah. Let's go yeah. there. Let's unpack it. Let's do the hard work. It's Scorpio season, baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it must be really confirming to be able to sit in your office in mail mode feeling kind of sad because you had a great weekend where you were able to dress and it was great. Now you're feeling kind of sad to know that for many, there is the option to create a female persona on a Facebook page. Hmm. Many of you listeners haven't for fear reasons for protecting your own safety, but many of you have. And there's something really comforting when you're not dressed. Whenever you talk about Savannah, for example, as someone that isn't you, meaning you, meaning Chuck, typing to be on your couch, I'm like, you are Savannah. To me, whenever we chat a messenger, you are Savannah. Like that is who I'm looking at. That's the little circle I see when you comment on different people's posts. That is who you are. I'm going to put the question on you. I told you how I feel when I look at that little circle, but yeah, do you yeah, feel yeah. when you comment? When you message me, you know, without me saying anything, are you able to tap into that femme self and really feel that part of yourself or not at all? Well, that is a fantastic question. I will do a little self-promotion for us because the episode about living loud online is episode 113. Go back to it. <laughs> Just so people know to go back to episodes and they'll hear all nah. our social media adventures. To answer your question, I think it's easy because of who I'm talking to. I'm talking to you and because of what you just said, that you see me as Savannah. I think it's easier for me to put myself in kind of a Savannah bubble, if that makes sense. So when you and I are talking, yeah, I'm talking to you on my Savannah messenger, right? It's not Chuck messenger. It's on Savannah. So I can even see my own bubble as Savannah. And you call me Savannah. We interact in a way that's very Savannah-centric because that's kind of how you know me. So in that way, there's a real ease to talking with you with that in the back of my mind, as well as other people that I speak to, whether it be friends or people who've reached out to me for advice. I spoke to people in Chicago today, and it was on the Savannah Messenger. So for me, I kind of like slide right into that. Because I know that's who they are experiencing from their side right. of the conversation. If it were just like in a vacuum where there was no name on the messenger and it was just me conversing, right. I don't know if I really have an opinion or a thought of self of who I was. Because for me, Savannah and Chuck are fairly balanced. So it really is me. I think it's more about the environment, the conversation, and the people I'm interacting with that really drives a more pronounced sense of self as one or the other. Right. But sometimes you say, <laughs> she, <laughs> Savannah, or Savannah. Yes. What, like, you are Savannah. Exactly. Like my inner bring, child yes. is yes. just like, <laughs> you are Savannah. What are you talking about? We talk a lot. And when we're talking on the phone, that is Chuck 100%. Okay. Because you hear the voice. Right. And I'm yeah. not looking at any sort of visual cue. Right. Right. Makes sense. But anywho, before we get too off topic. Oh, it's all on topic. <laughs> it, oh, it's it, right. Sorry. Yes. It's all on topic. <laughs> and uh, Bicky Licky Heidi Ho to that, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to read another. Here, will you say something profound about this topic while I while I look for oh, sure. DM me and they said I could share it. So Okay. So well, I just want to say one more thing to that interchange that 
Julie and I had is I spoke about Savannah in the third person through text messaging. So the reason why she gave me a reality check is that we tend to do that uh, because we have the two personas. And if there is one that's dominant and one that doesn't get enough breadth and freedom, we tend to talk about that femme self, that femme name in the third person, because we are so dominantly in our male persona, especially if we're not dressed. You know, if I'm not dressed as Savannah, I, we won't talk about Savannah as a third person if I'm dressed as her, I, which I just did. Say, if I'm dressed as my femme self, <laughs> it's fine. If I'm not dressed as my femme self, I tend to try to delineate the conversation based mm. on, hey, I'm currently this, so I'm going to talk about Savannah is like an, another entity, even though I know in my heart she is purely part of me and not a third person, not external of me. So I understand your inner child say, but you're also Savannah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> But I get it when in conversation, we, the cross-dressing person, is juggling our personas in that conversation, uh, whether it's needed to be delineated or not. We tend to do that because we are operating on this kind of multiple personality thing, not psychologically, but we have two personas we're trying to define and delineate and talk about. So we, we will tend to other that persona you know, if, if we're not embodying that persona in the moment. Right. And does little Chuck ever feel like this bitch again? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just like, please see me for the man that I am right now, because you are so very connected to what you see is what you get. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how I'm expressing in the moment is the she, her, and what yes. I'm not is the he, him. Like, it's very much, that's how you roll. And for the community of people that love you online and who love you through your book and express the kind of love, not in terms of like really knowing you, therapist, Valerie, I get it. But like in terms of like their love, the sheer love that there's someone out there that is brave enough to share their experience through your life. And they've never read anything like this. And I'm, I'm not alone. This makes sense. I can do both. I don't have to be confused anymore. This can be true and that can be true. Mm-hmm. The people that speak to you, the people that write testimonials because you're dual gender and because regardless of what you say about how important the external is to how you are viewed in the world. I'm sorry, but you've created a body of work like our podcast is a lifeline. Mm-hmm. And that is created by Julie and Savannah. It doesn't matter to the listeners. Some of the times, like today, and you are in male mode, and I am in my usual, I'm wearing red lipstick. Ah! I always try to do a pop of something when you're in drab, but they still hear Savannah. They will not be distracted. Hopefully not. I don't know you. But they will not be distracted being like, okay, I don't know what Chuck looks like. Only the tried and trues in your life will maybe be able to picture that. But we don't know that world. We just know you in your heart as right. it is a, so yeah. available to us. Which, which is why I would never do a podcast without you because I was so afraid listening to this voice would mm. immediately put people off like, well, it just sounds like a guy. I, mean, I can't associate myself. I can't see myself as that. So therefore I'm going to you know, go elsewhere. I do want to say funny anecdote to a unfortunately very somber uh, situation. A friend of ours, uh, Judy and mine passed away this week. I know. Um, as we're recording, this person, if you go back to the beginning and listen to like, the podcast from the beginning, you will hear a story of Eric 
in the upstate meet and mingle, which was for you know the the community. Judy found this meetup group for me. And so I reached out and said, Hey, I'm a crossdresser. I'm not gay. Is it okay if I come? And he said, Oh, absolutely. We accept everybody. Anybody in the queer community. And that was when I first met Lex. That's when I met Dev and Al. That's when I met Joe. A whole new bubble that I got introduced to. And Eric was a person who welcomed me with open arms. And, uh, and so he passed away, unfortunately, way too soon. His heart was way too big to to let him leave, but he he's left his plane for better pastures. So we go into Spartanburg to raise a glass because he unfortunately passed away in West Virginia as so he's visiting family. So he's not here for us to have a wake or anything locally. Some of the friends decided let's meet at this place called the Freight Yard, big open area space, lots of picnic tables, it's food. It was at 6 p.m. So I had to go straight home, get Judy, and then get down yeah. there because I want to be there on time. There's no way I could savannify for that. Right. So one of Eric's former boyfriends is there, and a couple of the people are there when we arrived. So I go up and I, you know, I rub his back, you know, his shoulders, and then you know, he turns around and I give him a big hug. He didn't know who the hell I was. Because mm, he doesn't know me as Chuck. He only wow. knows me as Savannah. So he gave me this, like, who's this weird person hugging me out right. of nowhere? And I kind of caught that he wasn't sure who I was. I was like, oh, you remember Judy, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember Judy. <laughs> yeah. Still didn't connect it back to me as oh. Savannah, as us as a couple. And it happened throughout the night. People would come in and they only know Savannah and didn't recognize me right away. Even like associating with Judy or even associated with other people that I was sitting with and talking to um, until I smiled or until I did something that was at one cue, the one physical cue they had to be, oh my God, I think that's Savannah. Yeah. That, that it happened like three or four times that they didn't recognize it right away because I, in my head, do not remember all the people I've seen because I know them as just like, this is Roger, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, this is Michael. I just know them, but they only know that part of me. And therefore they don't have that visual cue to recognize me back. So I thought it was very interesting. I was not put off by it because, you know, that's, you know, they, they remember things, how they remember things. They know me through Savannah. So I did not take offense. It was kind of sweet. They didn't recognize me. Validating a truck and walk down the street and nobody ever said, my God, Savannah. Right. right. You know? So uh, anyway, that was just an aside that it happens in the inverse as well. Mm-hmm. That people who only know your femme side or only see texting with the Savannah bubble or on your uh, Savannah Facebook or Instagram, they're never going to see me walking down the street as Chuck and know me that way right. instantly. They only know me as that part of me. So it gives a half and half. I have a lot of people who know me that way, validate me that way. My family and my school friends and people I grew up with know me as Chuck and validate me in that way. There is this dichotomy, but yet equal blend of validation in in those ways. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And yeah, thank you. Sorry. It's it's still a little raw as we're recording. No, it just happened. It just happened this week. So yeah. So yes. 
thankfully we could dedicate this episode in in this person's memory and it's also very interesting somehow our topic relates exactly to your experience this week at this very somber time no one recognized you in your non-savannah self and the idea of switching over can be looked at in so many different ways and have so many examples of and i think that that's beautiful so thank you for letting us in on that So I received a DM, a dual gender individual, a cross-dressing individual. It's a picture of them holding up the phone with them fully femme and just crying. This letter said, so I thought I'd answer your question on how it feels to undress with a picture. For reference, this was earlier this year at a time that I was struggling with guilt. The night I took this picture, I was having to undress because my free time was up and guilt for how I had treated my feminine side in the past hit me very hard. Guilt for the things I had said about my feminine side to myself. This year has been a huge journey of finding, accepting, and loving myself. But this night specifically, I couldn't stop apologizing to Kira and telling her she was beautiful and I love her. This night, I think, was a huge turning point to forgiveness and acceptance. I don't consider myself a very emotional person, but when it comes to Kira, I can be very emotional. Younger years, those emotions were guilt of continually falling back into dressing. Then this year, the emotional journey of acceptance and understanding. Still with my spouse, my feelings are easily hurt if I feel Kira is being thought of shamefully. For the time being, my dressing or I guess undressing, has been emotional. Usually I give a last look in the mirror and tell her I love her and look forward to the next time. But no matter what the world sees as my exterior coding, I am Kira. Kira is me. I carry her daily and she shapes my life. And I was just going to read the bottom passage of it sandwiched in between this really poignant picture, but I'm so glad I read both because it really encapsulates the complex journey that Mm. is the cross-dressing experience. Oh, yeah. That is learning how to love yourself, especially as it needs to go back from your body into a box, into the closet, and to be reunited hopefully soon. I think this listener... Kira Kay mentioned several points that I would like us to take away as something that we can think about applying to our cross-dressing journey. Looking back to the past for information on how you have grown into the now, that's one of them. And thinking about how it used to bring on a lot of shame, bring on guilt by fully feeling and putting those feelings on high def rather than ignoring them will help you release them. And it sounds like this person is doing really important work before she strips down into her male male self. She'll look back at the mirror and, and give herself a really beautiful hug and a love letter and a mantra, you know, by, by giving herself love and basically giving her a, a big metaphoric hug to the next time that they are together. And I think that that's beautiful. Am I missing anything? There was just so much. I think everyone listening needs to understand that there should be zero shame to you having a feminine persona in whatever way that registers or any way that manifests, because there's too many examples in the world that contradict all those things that tell you it should be shameful. Religious doctrine, cultural doctrine, social stigma, what I've been working on with looking at the medical psychiatric practices of diagnosing it as a mental illness, 
all those things are becoming more evident as being false. So the idea that we grew up with this shame, knowing that it's not easy to overcome, but number one is to say to yourself in that mantra, in that self-love, in that self-acceptance, that there is absolutely zero shame in wanting, needing, desiring, embodying this feminine side of yourself. That's the first and foremost thing. Because if you alleviate the shame, you're going to alleviate the guilt. Now, one of the other things that Kira said was the partner and the concern, worry, trigger of invalidation. Yeah. We have to be so in love with ourselves, Mm -hmm. but so in love with ourselves in who we are as a person that we have a ready-made shield that protects us from being invalidated by external sources. Yes, I know that your partner is the one who you love the most and the one whose validation or invalidation is the most piercing or the most energizing. But we also have to come away and say, you know, this is who I am. And I am so in love with the person I am and my authenticity and my truth of being that you can be protected by naysayers and people who want to tear you down a bit for either ignorance, their own indoctrination. What are the things that cause them to see you less than the amazing person you are? That you need to protect yourself. It's so important to dump that shame. It's so important to dump the guilt. And it's so important to be just confident in the person you are and in love with the person you are so that you can go forward with as much time as you can get, as little time as you can afford to be that person and know that that person is an integral part of the person who makes me the full person I am. Because I think some of the other messages even talked about if I, do, if I go too long without having this time for myself, it affects my mental state in a very negative way. The reason why it affects you so adversely is either because you feel resentment to the situation that keeps you from this full experience, or the fact that you've been closeted for so long and that it's always a rush job to experience that person. The elation is so intensified that you can't come down without some withdrawal after the fact. The way that Kira approaches her goodbye to her femme self, or at least the presentation of her femme self is so beautiful and so powerful and so necessary for so many of us to know you need to have that self-love. And you've told me the same thing about my male self, that I need to give my male self enough self-love and mantra of love and validation just as much. So we need to do that across the board. We really need to embody that and practice that on a regular basis. I certainly, certainly agree. And when it comes, I know you and I have spoken about this before, and I've witnessed examples of this in other individuals that I've worked with. And that's the idea of when your significant other speaks her truth about your femme self and immediately or speaks down to your femme self. There is a defensiveness that comes, there's an extra sensitivity towards protecting yourself. There may be a defensiveness, some tension. I think if I was a couples therapist and if I was to examine those same words that I just spoke in relationship to your average cis coupling, I think that would be a place where I would start working with individuals. Why does this happen? How does this happen? And do everything I can as a therapist to soften that and and extract that from the experience. When it comes to a crossdresser, a sensitivity, a defensiveness, a protection, 
your femme self, your little girl has been built inside the closet and is in need of someone to advocate for them. So for me, if you feel defensive, if you feel angry, if you need to walk away and then come back together, those are all necessary feelings that are right and true. And I would be fearful if you tried to add to your already intense internal rhetoric about what's happening and shaming yourself. If you were to add those moments with your partner as something you need to fix or change, I'd say, take them out. Don't worry about them. They're there for a reason. They're there out of protection. They're that moment where you can honor that inner person and say, you are important. You are worth fighting for. I'm not about violent communication. I'm about nonviolent communication all the way, but you are worth defending that this is a part of me and this person is not going anywhere. And that comes with a lot of privilege and power for getting to this point with your person where you are out, where you're Mm -hmm. managing the situation and knowing that, yes, your partner is going to have certain words, insecurities, triggers. It's all fear-based. And knowing how to separate that truth from your own self is super important. Great. That's spot on. Spot on. There was actually somebody I follow who's very important in the social media community as an advocate for gender diversity. And they were told by their wife, who knows, even uh, before the marriage, that this was part of who they are. And then we're told that you need to stop it. You need to get rid of it. I, I can't deal with it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was fearful when I saw that posting. I was fearful that this person would abandon their authenticity because of their partner's fear. Just like you said, luckily, several weeks later, another post came up that said, Hey, we had this conversation. We talked about it. She understands this is who I am, that I'm not going to back down and be less of who I am for somebody else. And yes, as trying as that is, and as scary as that is, and as selfish as that may seem on the outside, it's not. There's a self-preservation. There's something that's very selfless to be that selfish. Like you are being selfless with like, no, I'm going to be as big and broad and as amazing as I can be in spite of the world around me. People don't seem to understand how much risk and consequence there is to be that authentic to self. So to be able to do that may seem selfish from the outside, but basically you being, no, I'm being all this in spite of everything around me. And it's so very important to be that way. It is so important. And I'm thinking, I don't know if we're thinking of the same person or at least someone I'm following on Instagram who had similar circumstances. The wife had said, you know, I don't want this in my house because it's a sin, basically. And so what ended up happening, because this person has done so much work and as much as I was worried that this person would just honor thy wife and and not do something that is sinful and believe her beliefs as her own, it turns out that they must have come up with some sort of compromise because now she's able to go to a very nice hotel, I don't know how often, and dress and take pictures and feel very free. I've also seen extensive pictures of her connecting with other community members. Some of them are, I see as a very high level community member in terms of the cross-dressing experience. And it was, it just warmed my heart to know that, okay, that was being said. 
I may not dress inside the house based on an agreement that I'm going to have with my wife, but I'm going to care for myself in the following ways because now there's a boundary and I'm going to work with it because I believe different from this person. So I want to get to a few more comments before we kind of wrap this up into a bow, as well as say that being 115 episodes in, I can honestly say as we're speaking these words and going through these stories that this episode for me and I hope for our listeners will reign supreme. We'll be up there with episode 17, shame, 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 Um, (laughs) because I feel like it is something we must as cross-dressers work with and grapple with in order to have a beautiful accepting experience for ourselves. So Alicia Stockton says, I really don't want to de-girl once I am comfortable in my femme persona. I avoid it as long as possible, and it makes me sad once I start the process. Being in the closet, I feel a lot of shame and guilt. Not so much for the dressing, but for sneaking around and the, quote, covering my tracks. It's a lot of undue stress on what would otherwise be a very fun and fulfilling activity. So if your undressing comes with anxiety about someone coming home or a shortened time span or or whatever it is that you and I continue to touch upon in this episode, I think it makes the letting go of your femme self that much harder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, once we get rid of the shame and once you get rid of the guilt and once you get to a a place of self-love where you can emerge from the closet... That's step one. Step two is now working and walking that tightrope of how do you deal with the others in your life that may or may not accept you. Yeah, you might be one of the luckies who has a loving partner and who supports you and wants you to grow and be yourself. Or you may have the opposite, like the, the one you just spoke of that you follow. They had problems and there was a stress and strain and tension, and, but they worked through it to a compromise for today that works for both of them. Definitely something that as we go forward, I want all gender diverse people to be able to be their truth out loud. You know, that's uh, that's my big goal. So absolutely, I've, I see that. You know, as we slowly tick off those emotional components of our journey, that we're just going to find ourselves in a much better place. Yes, and I noticed some of these comments also has to do with that reflective piece about this is where I was. But now, like you said, the longer people work at it, and I know for you and your story, knowing it personally, you are in a much different place than you were even when you first moved here, when you first moved to New York. I mean, all these moments and milestones of you, yes, you are now very public with who you are and your journey. But what we don't get to see so often is how Savannah came to be, Mm -hmm. who Savannah was before she knew that that was your femme name and, you know, all the different combinations that go into the feminine cross-dressing experience. And Shannon Bloom writes, when I first started going out a few years ago, changing back was met with sadness. But since I've been going out more consistently, I find that while I still experience a come down off the pink high, I can look forward to the next time, because I know there will be a next time. And that's an amazing feeling. And not everyone has. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to say because we have so many messages here. 
And there's no way we can hit all of them, unfortunately. Please go to the Fox and Fingers podcast Facebook page for this mm-hmm. post. Please read the comments that were shared because while we can't read everyone verbatim on the show, everybody deserves to be read. There are some yeah. amazing entries here. I urge you to go to that post, which would have been October 28th. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we were working on a little bit of a library. If you go back to right before Halloween, Julie did post this amazing Fox and Pinks podcast image and message, and we got amazing responses yeah. back. So please, mm-hmm. listeners, go check those out. I think they they are very relevant. They're, they resonate very powerfully. Facebook and Instagram. Yes. And to the people who did share, thank you so much. Yeah. These are like we've said to the ones we've read and the ones we've read off air, powerful. They're relevant. Yeah. They really, the people who've responded are very great with their pros, with how they responded. It really is a story encapsulated mm-hmm. of such a massive big journey that they're on. So I, I can't speak highly enough about the people who responded. Um, even if we didn't get to your comment on air, we do appreciate you so, so much. Yeah. Ditto to that. And know when I post anything like this, I read them, Savannah reads them. And to echo what she said, thank you very much. We hope will be one of those episodes that you can turn back to during those times that you feel really sad and just know that you are not alone. And it is important to, as a collective, lift each other up. Mm-hmm. All of us. I consider myself a very much a part of this community. As a community member, it's really important that we all find ways to share. And writing is one of the most important and powerful tools when it comes to getting your story out of your body, getting your shame out of your body and setting it out free. I used to have, and I miss this terrible daily moments with me and my phone where I just type exactly how I was feeling, especially through some of the hardest times. So whether that is just for you, or if it's a post that you make on social media, writing is is always there for you as a friend. You know, it's also a way to talk to that femme self when you're not able to dress and to remind that femme self that you love them and that you're not ashamed and all that stuff, all that stuff. So as we close in on a beautiful, beautiful episode, I would like to give another honorary dedication or shout out to Savannah's beloved friend that has passed away, that had a a huge heart and was not able to be with us as long as everyone would like. Yes. Thank you. I do appreciate it. I do, do appreciate it. And also, I just want to add as well, tomorrow I am going to the 80th birthday of my mentor, Stephanie, that was the single person that told me that there was a need for people like me among the community. And from that moment on, I have just been on the path and I have thankfully created a business, thankfully started a podcast, but I would not be here. We would not be here. Had it not been for Stephanie, my mentor, finding me and somehow activating this this part of me that is connectivity with all of you. So I love you, Savannah, and I'm so fortunate to have you in my life. And I hope that we can continue to do these episodes for 115 more episodes 
and then beyond. And beyond. It's always about the beyond and I'll take it. Yeah. And uh, so happy birthday to Stephanie and uh, give her a big hug for me and um, take us out. Yes. Please tune in to new episodes of the Fox and the Phoenix podcast on Wednesdays. And we hope that you take care of yourself and we love all you beautiful people out there. Okay. Bye for now. Until next time. You can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or at Living With Crossdressing and on Instagram at Savannah Hawk. Remember, that's H-A-U-K. And to learn more, go to my website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fox and Hanger or at Julie MTF Style, as well as on our website at foxandhanger.com. Julie, it's your moment. <gasps> the Fox and the Phoenix podcast uses Anchor. Copyright 2022. Yes, nailed it. If you enjoy our content and want to make it easier for others to find us, please share with your friends, tap the subscribe or follow button to the show wherever you're listening, give it a five-star rating, or leave a review. And for show ideas or comments, contact us through the podcast on Facebook at Fox and Phoenix Podcast or on Instagram at the Fox and the Phoenix Podcast underscore.